that is what Helios is all about. That. That's what's gonna push mankind to make the next leap forward. Colonizing Mars and the moons of, of Saturn and, and Jupiter. I suppose now your price goes up. That was a great speech. I mean, it was worth at least another 10%. <laughs> Welcome back to For All Mankind, the official podcast. I'm Chris Marshall, aka Commander Danielle Poole, on the Apple TV Plus series. Each week, I sit down with the cast, crew, and show creators to discuss what just happened in the last episode. This podcast will be jam-packed with spoilers, so if you haven't seen episode two of season three yet, just pause, go watch, and come back. There is a lot to talk about. So today, I'm joined by Chantelle Van Santen, who plays Karen Baldwin, and new cast member Eddie Gathegi, who plays Dev Ayesa. But first, a quick recap. In episode two, we're back on Earth, as the third entry is revealed in the race to Mars. Helios founder Dev Ayesa meets with Karen Baldwin to buy her now-defunct space hotel, Polaris, and convert it into a spaceship. The tension between Karen and Danny remains unresolved after their one-night tryst ten years ago. As Karen cleans out her office, Danny confesses he still has feelings for her, but she shuts him down with a slap. At Johnson Space Center, Molly goes around Margot and chooses Ed over Danielle to lead the Mars mission. But when Margot finds out, she fires Molly and picks Danielle to lead the 1996 journey, causing Ed to quit the agency altogether. This gives Karen an idea. Who better to lead Helios' mission to Mars than the golden boy himself? Dev holds a press conference to announce his plans for Mars in 94. The race is on. Ed Baldwin won't have to wait four years to lead our expedition. We'll be going in the next Mars launch window, 1994, a full two years before NASA or the Soviet Union. The future belongs to all of us. Today, I am sitting down with two very cool kids. I have got Chantel Van Santen, who plays Karen Baldwin, and Eddie Gathegi, who plays Dev Ayesa. Hi, guys. What's cracking? Okay, so Chantel, you're an old veteran on the podcast. (laughs) So tell the folks who you play and what you do on the show. I play Karen Baldwin. I used to say that I was the better half of the Baldwin duo of Ed and Karen, but now, um, but now, you know, I'm not on my own. Yeah, and now I'm my own woman and doing my own things. Lots has changed in uh, in between each season. And, you know, I get to play a woman that at first would be the type of woman that Karen was scared of, which is really, mm. really cool. Like, you know, if we look at season one, the type of woman that she was intimidated by and even uh, was against. And now mm. she's living that type of life. And so— um, Mm. Yeah. That's like wonderful writing, yeah. right? right? That is great. To give yes. a character that type of arc. That's storytelling. Yeah. I, I could never have told you that when we, see, season one, episode three, when I was like, 
gosh, I hate Karen. Do I have to say these things that I would now, <laughs> you know, be a businesswoman owning her own company and partnering up with somebody new that we introduced this episode? Incredible. <laughs> and so, okay, Eddie, Eddie Gutheggi, you've worked on so many different projects, many oftentimes where you begin with the show at the pilot. What is it like coming into a show like this where it's an established group who are all super close with each other? Did you feel um, intimidated coming in? Were you excited? What was that process like for you starting the job? You know, it could go one of many different ways, and mm. it went the best way possible. Let me just start with that. This mm-hmm. this uh, crew is well-oiled. You guys all have your chemistry. You guys are doing terrific work. But the cherry for me was just the kindness. You guys just absolutely said, this is now your home. You're welcome to it. You know, let's let's play. Let's be free. Let's feel safe. So joining an existing show could have been terrible. Um, sure. It could have been intimidating. But I'm always putting the work first. So I know that I just have mm. to do my homework and then show up. But to be supported by just genuinely good people um, made the experience that much more rich for me. So The introduction of your character in the desert scene is both so warm and also so cold and just this really wild— Warm and um, cold. (laughs) Honey, you got warm and cold going. Um, (laughs) But I want to, you know, without getting too actor-y, talk to me, Eddie, about playing Dev. Oh, I love the actor. No, I'm just— (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, because we know we know going in that this guy is going to be without it's not a spoiler. He's going to be a foil to a lot that's going on. So, how did you approach this character who on its surface could have really been a single dimension? Truth. Mm-hmm. Everything that I try to do as an actor is just try to find the the humanity in the character that I'm playing. What's the truth? What and mm-hmm. and the truth is is that no one is all good or all bad. There's just mm-hmm. gray shades everywhere. So that's what I embrace. I knew that, as you say, Dev is going to be a foil to a lot of stuff that was happening. But why is he doing the things that he's doing? What drives him? What's important to him? What's the backstory? And I had great conversations with Matt and Ben leading up to to joining the show. And we talked about some of those things. And Mm -hmm. I gave them a lot of my personal stories, which was which was interesting. I'm going to say it on this podcast, but it's yeah. interesting because one of the things that they do tremendously well is they show the totality of a human being. You know, half mm-hmm. of the audience at any given point in time is going to agree with the choice that a character makes and love that character. And then that same character will go through something on the show where the opposite is true. They build that kind of arc for their characters. And the arc for me this season, without getting into past 302, was mm-hmm. reconciling how complex these characters are. Mm-hmm. It was actually a journey for me, and it was difficult to fully embrace just how many dimensions that they have, choices that they make that you would not make. Amen. Okay, so so Amen. so Chantel, let's just <laughs> let's quickly get the elephant out of the room. Yes. Let's give him a peanut and send him on his way. So Eddie is talking about characters who make decisions yes. that you personally don't stand behind. Yeah. Talk to me about your experience of having played a story 
specifically the story with uh, Karen and Danny Stevens, where yeah. the story was received with very mixed reviews by the audience. Yeah. What was that like for you, both telling that story, not knowing what the audience would think, and then later receiving some praise, yes. some accolades, but also some <laughs> backlash? You know, I think that any good storytelling creates controversy because within our yeah. hearts— we struggle as human beings with mm-hmm. all sorts of maybe thoughts, maybe actions that are quite human and messy and very imperfect. You know, it's interesting. I think I had a, a harder time with the idea of Ed and Karen divorcing than I did with the actual mm. affair. Um, the mm. affair felt like an action that was acted out and it was— uh, something that she regretted. But for me, Chantel, I remember where I was standing and the phone call from Matt and Ben where they told me that Karen and Ed would, you know, their marriage wasn't going to make it. And Mm -hmm. I, it felt like all over again, here's this four-year-old girl whose parents were going to get a divorce. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's it's such an interesting show because while we see scenes on camera there's also scenes we film that we don't see there's time in between there's this imaginary story that we've lived 30 years of not even Mm -hmm. it's not even just 30 episodes it's all the years of life and stories we've created in between and on and off screen and um that one was tough for me I thought that Mm -hmm. Karen and Ed had what it took to survive I mean they they survived you know their son passing so I, I think that There was a lot of, like, guilt and shame that came up in me for, let's say, my past choices, and I wanted to protect myself along with Karen. But at the end of the Mm -hmm. day, what you can't do is control how other people perceive a story, and all you can do is be truthful. Because what if me telling that story meant that there was a woman or man who watched it who then realized and forgave themselves and allowed themselves to be human and work through an issue, whether their marriage made it or not? Like— those are the stories I want to tell anyway, are the messy, complicated, non-perfect human. Like, I don't want Karen to be this self-righteous, like, oh, she's the perfect wife and the perfect, like, boring. Let me tell mm-hmm. the stories that that people don't always like and make them uncomfortable and make them think and, you know, process something from their own selves. Um, so, yes, the elephant in the room is that, but it is true. I think— I know, Chris, you have too. Like, there were decisions you were like, God, like, Mm -hmm. I don't want people to see me this way. Like, that's our own stuff that we get to work through as humans and and as actors. And I commend them for going there with every character and being real and not just creating heroic, wonderful people that, you know, nobody, I don't want to watch that. Yeah. The first episode of the pod, I interviewed Garrett Reisman and Ron Moore. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions I asked Ron about was, what was that like for you as a show creator to see so much audience blowback about the Karen and Danny Stevens storyline? And his words, basically, screw them. Yeah. Screw them. Like, I am going to tell the story I want to tell. And the fact that the audience is talking about it is exciting. That excites me. Yeah, and it propels our characters. Like, just like if you take our very first episode where America lost the moon, we made choices and we Mm -hmm. lost the moon and we have to overcome, it's the same thing with each character. We're sitting here making choices that are going to, if you want to perceive them as win or lose, you can, that Mm -hmm. might negatively impact their life. But how do we overcome? And where 
we find Karen 10 years later because of that decision, which may have only been this one blip moment that she regretted, her entire course of her life is different when we find her. And Mm -hmm. so is Ed's. Um, And to be honest, they still have such a profound love for each other. And in this episode, have a scene that I will never forget because it still had such, like, texture and history between Karen and Ed that it's like there's no love that was ever lost between them, even with everything they went through. So let's talk about your connection, Eddie, with Dev and coming to Karen and deciding that you're going to purchase Polaris and turn it into a Helios ship. Because there's huge risk involved. I mean, you've just watched this woman have such an enormously public disaster. This thing literally falls apart. Why does Dev zoom in? Is he a savior? Is he an opportunist? Talk to me about Dev's perspective of jumping into a situation that is a disaster. You know, Dev is a businessman. He's a businessman. Mm -hmm. And he is trying to make his mark on the world for all the reasons that anybody tries to make a mark on the world, but also because he believes in his mission and he believes in his ability to help usher humanity into another Mm -hmm. place. So he's been working diligently. I mean, the backstory is he's the man who has figured out fusion. He's he's figured Mm -hmm. out the technology that's going to save us. The, the energy just source. Just a small thing called fusion. Just no a big. small thing called fusion. <laughs> going to solve global warming, just going to yes. really figure some things out. Mm-hmm. Massive stuff. So he's figured this out with his team uh, of geniuses and started this company, and, and he sees an opportunity. He sees, mm-hmm. he sees Polaris, this hotel. He sees what Karen has been able to do with it, and there's the meltdown. It all goes to crap. And he's, he looks at the pieces on the table and he goes, wait a minute, there's an, there's an opportunity here. So mm-hmm. instead of ignoring this opportunity, I think I can use this opportunity and at the same time help someone who probably does not have the, the wind at her back right now. So it's a twofold thing. That's why he approaches mm-hmm. Karen. And I think he sees something in her in their interactions that intrigues him. He sees a lot of potential in just the woman who is capable of creating this hotel, and and uh, he, he, he wants more. Chantel, really, season one, your life is surrounded around your family and your role mm-hmm. as a mother. Season two, we begin to watch you kind of break out of your eggshell and become this businesswoman, and we see you sell the outpost, and you're beginning to really make waves. Who is this person now who's a risk taker, a negotiator, and a builder from the ground up? (sighs) Who is she? You know, one of the most interesting things for me is, and Chris, I know it's got to be the same for you, is in between each season, when we get that first script at the top of the next season, it's like, where where is my jumping off point and how do I fill in the gaps Mm -hmm. of the last 10 years to find who I am now? And it's like every season I'm somebody new. 
I mean, if I think, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years ago of who I am. I think you more so than any other character <laughs> in the whole entire world that we have. Yeah. I mean, you really yeah. are such a chameleon each season. We don't see it coming. I don't see it coming either. And, you know, like I said to you earlier, I couldn't have told you in season one that the woman who was stomping around the house saying that, you know, Molly should not be going up into space. That is not women's role. She needs to take a step back and just be a wife and, you know, that why doesn't she have kids? All of that woman would be the woman who now is on the cover of Forbes, has a business, uh, has a hotel in space (laughs) in the place she Mm -hmm. hates the most, but she sees the opportunities. And, you know, it's interesting. I think that that woman has always been in there. And I don't know that I knew it when I was performing those scenes, but I think there was Mm -hmm. this envy for a life that she never got to live and that she felt Mm -hmm. she was happiest living vicariously through Ed, managing their life. And, you know, I look at season one like here's these two statues of the perfect astronaut and astronaut's wife and their kid and the family. And slowly throughout that season, you see it just crumble, crumble, crumble away. And in Mm -hmm. season two, she is a bit of a shell of who we've ever known and is trying to find her own footing and purpose and, you know, finding new things that kind of ignite her, like owning a bar and having a business and running something other than a home. And in my mind, the outpost mm. was an extension of the home. The home was mm. was broken, mm-hmm. in a sense, when their son died. And there's a lot of, like, you know, trigger and trauma there. So she created a new home, more people to take care of, own the restaurant, have the employees, have the customers. And it was just an extension of caring for others and others and others. And I think that that only grows into what we find when we open the season, which then again crumbles away, which I was heartbroken. I'm go. like, I'm like, here I am. Like I've made it. I have this <laughs> this wonderful hotel and I'm successful. And uh, at the end of the episode, we're gonna take it away from you. Um and so quickly the Empire fell and I remember shooting that scene in the car in the desert on the way to have the meeting with Dev and being like, this is where 10 years of history has to live on my face for 30 seconds. And at like Mm -hmm. that weight of everything I put into it, all the work, like imagine you've done your job for 10 years and you're at like the height and you lose everything. Eddie, in my conversation with Ron, I was talking to him about what the archetype of a capitalist billionaire space explorer looks like, um, which usually looks like over 50, white, bald, male, you name it. (laughs) And I asked him, you know, Ron, what up with that? Why didn't you find some guy that looks like that? And he said, you know, what I love about our alternate history timeline is that there's so many things that have accelerated that now the face of a billionaire looks different. I mean, I love that that's what Ron fired back because that's one of the things that I love about the show is the rapid acceleration of everything, the technology. After Mm -hmm. the Russians get to the moon and we don't drop our guns, we develop the technology at rapid pace. You see, like, hybrid cars in Mm -hmm. in season two, Mm -hmm. (laughs) plug-in cars. You're like, oh, okay, this is what's going on, right? I mean, there's been black billionaires. The first black billionaire, I think, is a man named Robert Johnson, who was around, I think, around this time. Mm -hmm. But there's all the rappers, there's the Oprahs, there's the Jay-Zs, there's the Kanye. So I guess we're talking about 1992. And I guess I'll just echo what 
what Ron says is is it's it's nice that the that everything has rapidly accelerated and we're included. We're included in that. Sure. Mm-hmm. It just happens a little bit quicker. And, and of course, there have been other black billionaires, but I think this particular kind of space-faring, uh, you know, personal mission to Mars, I got to be the first, this kind of thing, right now in 2022 is currently dominated by men who all share the same aesthetic. And I just think that choice to make it different is really interesting. Let me try that again, because I think this is exactly what's going on, at least from my perspective, mm-hmm. is... Uh, People of color have just been left out of the equation there you a, go. a lot. Mm-hmm. And this right. is this is a world that has accelerated so rapidly that the inclusion just comes quicker. Now now mm-hmm. we've had other opportunities. The world looks a little bit different because of whatever timeline that we're on. It's just faster. So hopefully mm-hmm. we'll be in our world, we'll be in places where you can see a dev. Mm-hmm. I don't think we ever mentioned devs race once, do we? I mean, we, I talk about my my background. Yeah, where I was sure. born. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can just look at me. But I, but I think, <laughs> but I think our show kind of does that, right, Chris? Like it was just, it just became norm that women could mm-hmm. run NASA. It just became norm mm-hmm. that there was diversity. It just becomes just normal. And it just is, this is the way the world is, you know? And, and I think I think part of the reason why it's on my mind, too, yeah. is because in this episode, we see Margot wants Danielle to run the mm-hmm. mission to Mars. Ed believes that he's the best man for the job. And then Ed and Danielle have that conversation after he's given the job from Molly. The job is taken back from him and given to Danielle by Margot. And he says to Danielle in the outpost bar, we all know that if this were an even playing field, that I would be the choice. And so Mm -hmm. I do think that our story does a beautiful job of both some characters. We're just seeing who they are and the story that they tell. And like, you know, Eddie said, of course, you can see me on Black. But for Danielle, partially, I think, because she's been in the program for a really long time, it doesn't matter how hard she tries to excel. Everything that she does is still held up to this standard of, okay, but you got that because of affirmative action or if this were an even playing field that Ed would have gotten it. And that's tough. And I think Ed does have those antiquated Sure. Ideas like, if you will, Karen was stuck in the mud with, you know what I mean? We have to gauge our progress against Karen's, Mm -hmm. you know, ideals. And I think that that was the same this season. And it's hard to play that role, but it's important because in our world and in every world, you are going to have people who are stuck in antiquated ideas that no longer allow us to progress. Right. Even good guys. I mean, the patriarchy is definitely intact in our show because it's our world, Mm -hmm. but the timeline is different. So Mm -hmm. this show is chipping away at the status quo at a much more rapid pace. Yeah. Eddie, why does Dev need to get there two years sooner. I mean, he's got so much more work ahead of him, whereas the other programs, both the Soviet program and the U.S. program, they've got some wheels in motion and they're heading on their way. They're pretty much set to go for 1996. And then Dev shows up on the scene and says, not only am I taking Ed Baldwin as the captain in command, but I'm also going two years early. We all know that being first matters, but why does it matter so much for Dev? Well, um, the short answer is Dev is a G. That's why. (laughs) Um, He's confident because he has the technology. He has the plans, the vision. He has the team. He has the will. He's undeterred. So he knows he can do it first and foremost. But why Mm -hmm. is 
a very complicated answer that hopefully we start to unpack as the season goes on. But he's got mm-hmm. he's got his reasons, and his reasons are very personal. I like that. I like how you just teed up a little, a mm-hmm. little stay tuned. You got a career as a podcaster, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming for you. <laughs> okay, so Chantel. We've talked about the relationship with Karen and Ed. We've talked about the relationship with you and Danny. Yeah. What happens with the scene in the office where <laughs> it ends in a slap? And did you slap Casey? Um, poor Casey's face. <laughs> I want to know this too. Just I did. I did. Um, Whoa, I okay. did. Uh, multiple times. I. It was such a bizarre <gasps> thing because you always go into those scenes much like any other type of physical choreographing we may have to do on the show. And I asked him, like, you know, are we going to just do, like, a little stunt slap? And they were like, no, you know, just you're going to slap him. Like, not, you know, don't hit him with the heel of your hand, but yeah, you're going <laughs> to give him a nice little pop. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously not on, like, my face coverage I didn't, but in two shots mm-hmm. and on him mm-hmm. I did, and after every time I'd be like, are you okay? Do you want a cookie? What can I get you? Because <laughs> I felt awful. <laughs> that scene was really intimidating. There's a few that throughout this season that were really intimidating to shoot. Anytime I have physicality in a scene, I've never hit somebody. Um, And as Mm -hmm. we know from season two, I have a very, like, physical fight scene with Ed. And because I've never done that, I don't know the emotions that lead to it. So it's not something Mm -hmm. you can sit at home and practice or overthink. You have to just do the work in your head and show up and be present. And so it was one of those things we're trying to figure out in rehearsal, what drives me to want to smack him? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. why am I going to—I mean, this is not the first time Karen—Karen's uh, Karen's actually— I mean, she hit her son. She hit her husband. Now she's hitting him. Like, um, Karen's got some—she's <laughs> learning to keep her hands to herself. <laughs> she needs to get some pockets. So I just—I <laughs> think that, um, that that scene was really intimidating for—it was quite the roller coaster, obviously, to start off in the space that she's in, packing up her office, having just sold it, and then, you know, coming in and talking about Sam Passing, who was her amazing business Mm -hmm. partner and friend and obviously best friend's husband. And so there's a lot of complex stuff. And then to finally ask the question about, like, why did you play? I don't want to call it our song because that's weird, but it is kind of our song. And, you know, for them to then divulge that I was the only thing he was thinking about was kind of like a, you better snap out of that real quick. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially 10 years later. So it's such a strange scene to kind of navigate. And those were the ones that were always very rewarding in the end because Mm -hmm. you would sit back and be like, well, I think that made sense, right? I think we did this. <laughs> we'll find out. Um, but, you know, all you, like I said, all you can do in those moments is is be honest. But it's it's uncomfortable. And a lot of it was shocking. And so I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know. There's so much in that that's so complex between her and Danny that I think that even when we watch an episode one and, like, the song is playing, it's like... Uh, oh my gosh, what is this? Why mm-hmm. is this happening? Like, And it leads the audience to wonder what has happened for these two characters in between the 10 years. And you find out, yes, it was only that one time, but he still loves her, which, you know, 
you can't judge people's feelings. But, you know, Chantel was like, really? This gray-haired old lady? It must have been good. Really? <laughs> Must have been good. No comment. Uh, no it comment. Must have been good. I don't kiss and tell. No comment. <laughs> but yes, that's what I feel like people are gonna think. Like, okay, Karen. <laughs> okay, okay. Back to serious stuff. This is a serious conversation. A couple of serious actors. Yeah, here yeah, yeah. Serious TV show. Um, Eddie, from a performance standpoint and from a storytelling standpoint, what pieces of Eddie? are injected into Dev, and what of Eddie do you need to remove in order to play Dev? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I'll start with the latter. The pieces of me that I have to remove to play mm. Dev are my judgments. Mm. My judgments mm-hmm. specifically about Dev, where he makes choices that I wouldn't make. I still have to commit and I find the reasons why he, mm-hmm. he makes those choices. I remember having those conversations on set, right? Yeah. We would sit there and we'd sit at our chairs and be like, but why? And we both had our own reasons mm-hmm. why. And sometimes you'd judge and get in the way and you'd be like, "Throw, hey, hey, snap out yeah. of it. Throw yeah. that away. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being in my trailer before filming mm-hmm. the first day, not knowing how I was going to play this part. In fact, I was like... I think I think I'm gonna do a British accent. I've always wanted to do a British accent. And I'm, I'm a, I think Deb yeah, will two be. Two minutes before he steps on a, set. I, just, <laughs> I was just I didn't know what how to enter this yeah. this mm-hmm. and then I and then I just decided to do what we did and that's who Deb is. So the parts of him that aren't me are the parts that I've removed myself from. Are, are the judgment parts and the parts of Dev that are me are just mm. <laughs> me believing what I'm saying. Just me believing. Mm. In his mission, me believing in his mm-hmm. pathos, in his mission on this earth, in his backstory, in his wants, his desires. I just, I actually try to be present as Eddie as much as I can to be the vessel for Dev and not come up with a character. You know, it's interesting because I remember thinking they so often, this is not really a spoiler, but they so often give you these very profound, beautiful monologue speeches. And that just pours out of you like I've never seen in you com- anybody. You command a room and you have this presence that you, Eddie, have that mm-hmm. you, like, I thought when you asked this question, Chris, like, that is something you bring that you do not get a choice about, Eddie. Like, you mm-hmm. just have mm-hmm. a presence. When you walk into a room, you're like, boom. There he is. What does he have to tell me? I'm listening. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that is some, uh, just an, an innate quality that you have, along with the way you speak so eloquently in general. <laughs> that, What's wild about awesome. hearing that is that I see myself as just like a little artist church mouse. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's how we describe you. We're like, old Eddie the church mouse. Oh, mouse. <laughs> you know Fievel? It's like you're, you and Fievel are best friends. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Okay, so as we draw our time together to a close, I'm going to start with you, Eddie, and ask you, in your whole of the experience, what are your highlights and what are your lowlights? Highlights? I ain't going to lie. I love the schedule. <laughs> I love how many how many strong actors that they that they can lean on to carry everything. So no mm-hmm. no one's carrying a majority of the load. 
So sure. we all have some downtime to, mm-hmm. to you know, do, do what we want. Mm-hmm. The schedule is unlike anything that I've ever been on, and I love it, and yep. I love the people. So, <laughs> I mean, so listen, the whole experience was, was a highlight. The low mm-hmm. light was coming to grips with the complexity of who my character is. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the only mm-hmm. hitch in my step was getting to a place that you so effortlessly live in where you are fully merged in your character and understand every dimension of her. But that was three seasons, hon. That's three seasons. You know what I mean? Like, Let me tell you, that first season, I was like, I am flailing without arm floaties over here. Somebody throw me a life raft. Mm -hmm. Like, it was, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. It, you just, and by the way, if you think about it, where you started to where you ended after those 10 episodes Mm -hmm. was so much more grounded and settled. You Mm -hmm. just discover things. And, Mm-hmm. It's an awesome part of it, of the whole journey. And then you get to start all over again and be like, now who am I? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what I'm scared I, mm-hmm. again. <laughs> and what I what I do like about just the show in general is it's a big show, it's a space show. There's a lot of special effects. But at the core of it is just honest human beings storytelling. And mm-hmm. that's what was beautiful as an actor to watch. You, Chris, you know, mm-hmm. every, every episode, mm-hmm. just the, the ground in this, the, the moment to moment. So this was a, a project where I felt, oh, wow, I could really invocate the muses. I can really ask them to come visit mm-hmm. me, and then I don't know what's going to happen. This is the, the playground is a true playground for an artist. I don't have to be scared. I can just be the vessel for them to, to express whatever it is that's going to happen on the day. Mm-hmm. And I was excited to join a show that fostered that kind of environment. Yeah. Nice. Chantel, same question. Highlights, lowlights. <sighs> Why does this question always make me emotional? Uh, low light, I'm going to say, is going to be the same answer, which is that was all cool and dandy that we got to be on the hotel for one episode together, Chris. But, like, (laughs) I mean, uh, we had never—Chris and I, like, you want to talk about how you guys didn't see each other for an entire season? Mm -hmm. Chris and I have had, like, maybe, you know, that one episode we got to be around each other, um, Mm -hmm. semi-kind of dancing near a dance floor together. But, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. you know, that—I think that there's— phenomenal talent on our show that I would just love to have scenes with and every now and then I get to and I just always want more of that so I would say that's my Mm -hmm. only low light is I want to just keep playing around and there's certain worlds that just aren't going to cross because our characters don't and my highlight is having a job and a character that I fall more and more in love with as I learn and empathize. And it's like always coming back to a friendship that will stay with me in my heart forever and ever. Um, And I feel lucky to be challenged and scared and pushed to grow. Um, Because I think very often... People would look at me in our industry and be like, cool, blonde, white girl. She can be the girl next door, (laughs) the California beach, blah, 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 whatever. Mm -hmm, Like, it's so mm -hmm. easy to pigeonhole. And we have people like Matt and Ben and Ron who took a chance and saw something and wrote for me and allowed me to have more substance than anybody's ever challenged me to Mm. be able to show. Mm. And I'm I'm really, really grateful for those scenes, those moments, and the show. It's a highlight of my entire life and the thing I'm most proud to be a part of. 
because I just think what we have is something phenomenal from every actor to our creators to the costume to the four hours of me sitting in hair and makeup every day this season. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't even my low light, guys. Sitting there at 2 a.m. Remember when I texted you, Chris, and I was like, girl, I'm getting up at 1.15 tomorrow, Mm -hmm. and it's 9 Mm p.m. How am I going to perform? Like, And sitting in a hair and makeup chair to be on set for 5.30, and it's 2 a.m., and you're like, you can't sleep while they do your prosthetics. They're literally like blowing alcohol in your face. And like, yep. Evil. It is. And then you feel about when you get done with the day just as old as you look. So it's great. (laughs) That's why they do it. Yep, that's why. So Chantel Van Zandt and Eddie Gutheggy, thank you guys. Thank you, Chris. Say goodbye. Love you. you. Bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of For All Mankind, the official podcast. Be sure to listen and follow on Apple Podcasts and watch For All Mankind on Apple TV Plus where available. And don't forget to tune in next week where we'll discuss episode three. This is an Apple TV Plus podcast produced by Atwill Media. Executive produced by Will Malnati and me, Chris Marshall. Produced by Elliot Davis, Drew Beebe, Naila Andre, and Jenny Barish. Sound editing and mixing by Andrew Holzberger. Until next time, this is Chris Marshall. Safe and sound, Earthside.